This is The New Criterion. I'm James Pinero, Executive Editor. Ballet begins with a dare. Can you, standing with feet parallel and insteps touching, fan each foot outward by 90 degrees so that your toes are directly to the right and to the left? Thank Charlie Chaplin. And can you do this without falling? Try it now. These are the opening lines of Celestial Bodies, How to Look at Ballet, the new book by my guest, the new Criterion's own dance critic, Laura Jacobs. Laura, welcome, and congratulations on your book. Thank you. Laura has been writing for the new Criterion since 1994. Her archive, 44 Pieces and Counting, includes essays on George Balanchine, Jerome Robbins, City Ballet, ABT, Mark Morris, Twyla Tharp, Merce Cunningham, Mikhail Baryshnikov, Martha Graham, Susan Stroman, and the Kirov, among many other subjects. As a prose stylist, Laura writes in ways that spin like a fouette and jump like a grand jeté. She is among our favorite writers here at the magazine. Laura, your essay on the arabesque, for example, called Figures in the Carpet from September 1996, may be one of the most elegant pieces we have ever published, and here you write, Arabesque is the queen of ballet steps, its own rule. That long line from fingertips to toe is a kind of horizon, a sovereignty surveyed. It is this descriptive power that brings ballet to life in the pages of the new Criterion and now in your book, Celestial Bodies. And I understand you've prepared a few excerpts from the book to share with us here today. So thank you for doing that. Yes, you're welcome. This first section I'm reading is um, the very beginning of the second chapter, which is called The Point of the Point. At the theater, before you even take your seat, the peculiar nature of ballet is calling out from a table in the lobby or from a glass case where souvenirs are sold. I am speaking of a siren song that is soundless, a seduction that is like no other on earth. I am speaking of point shoes, or as they are often called, toe shoes. There they are, arranged in pairs in shades from wedgewood pink to palest peach, the used point shoes of reigning ballerinas and rising stars. They look like half a shoe, really. The satin back and sides are folded inward so that only the box, a reinforced cylinder that sheathes the toes, is three-dimensional. On the top of the box, a surface called the vamp, the dancer has signed her name in ballpoint or felt-tip pen. Who will buy these shoes? Girls who idolize a ballerina and aspire to dance as she does. Admiring fans who wish to come closer to a dancer they find dazzling. Collectors who see history in the feet that have worn these shoes. In all the performing arts, there is no memento like the satin point shoe, no other artifact so uniquely fitted to the stress of a living hour on stage, and at the same time unfit to last much longer than that hour, or two or three hours. Longevity depends on the rigor of the role. For girls, it is often the point shoe alone that draws them to ballet, its mysterious magnetism, something like a religious vision or Cupid's arrow, tantamount to a calling or a high romance and promising an intensity, purity, and purpose outside the tread of ordinary existence. In that glorious post-war movie of 1948, Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger's The Red Shoes, 
based on a story by Hans Christian Andersen. The beckoning points symbolize the obsessional imperatives of a life in art, the sacrifice of the everyday for the spiking ecstasy of performance. Red like the apple in Eden, possessed of a secret knowledge, these shoes are a matter of life and death. This is from the chapter called Ballet is Woman, but look at its men. As we learned in chapter one, the art of ballet began as a cathedral for kings, its steps and symmetries evoking architectures of inspiration and invincibility. The crown was contextualized, as academics would say, within rose window geometries, turret-like pirouettes, and arabesques acting as flying buttresses. But with the female's rise during the Romantic era, a rise both literal, the point, and figurative, and with her consequent passage into realms more liminal, academics again, the king's crown of gold gave way to the ballerina's tiara of dewdrops. Ballet's universe, once patriarchal, was now matriarchal, and men had, be had become intruders in a terrain of white tulle. Put plainly, when the classical technique was bifurcated by the introduction of point work, the female ballet dancer was privileged in her art in a way female artists had never been privileged before. Her wider pelvis had already made way for more liberated turnout. And being less muscle-bound than a man, she was lighter and quicker, with more motor refinement. Add in point, and she was protean, metaphorically intrepid. Balanchine was fascinated by the way a woman looked on point, says Suki Shorer, who danced for Balanchine and teaches at his School of American Ballet. I think he said that if it wasn't for the point shoe, he might not be a choreographer. It was female technique that engrossed the greatest choreographer of the 20th century, and fathomless female range that roused his artistry. It was Balanchine who said, ballet is woman. He also said, put 16 girls on a stage and it's everybody, the world, but put 16 boys and it's always nobody. This is not as negative a comment as it seems. It doesn't mean male dancers can't be sensational, because sensational male dancers have jolted the art form throughout history. And it doesn't mean that Balanchine didn't make remarkable roles for his leading men, because he did. Balanchine is simply saying that in ballet, men don't accrue meaning through multiplication the way women do. When the English choreographer Matthew Bourne produced a revisionist Swan Lake in 1995, his Swan Corps was made up of men to great theatrical effect. These swans were weighty and aggressive, as swans are in real life, but they were more of a squadron of swans than the drift whiteness, bank, bevy, or lamentation that, are, that a core of women calls up. As spectacle, groups of men are statements of strength, power structures like armies and teams, whereas groups of women suggest sensibility, a commune or carnival of souls. Even when a female core evinces power, as do the malevolent willies, the she of the core continues to invite poetic empathy. This is the way the art developed. The male classical dancer reads more po most potently in the singular, dancing solo or as the partner in a pas de deux, where we can revel in the strength and sensibility that isolates 
and transports him. What is it about ballet over other forms of dance, over other forms of art that compels you to the page? Well, I studied ballet, and uh, so I have a, a first-hand understanding of it. I started late, so I had more of a developed intellect at the point where I began studying. And I was able to think about what was going on in my body, in, um, in the studio, um, what it meant for the stage um, as I was learning. When I graduated from college and decided that, hmm, I didn't know what I was going to do, but maybe I should write, it, be, it was logical to write about, about dance. I had been studying ballet all through college, and it, uh, it was something that wasn't very well written about. It's the fascination of what's difficult to a certain extent. Uh, I think writing about dance is the most difficult of all arts writing. It is similar to poetry in a way, but poetry that evaporates before your eyes. It's gone. You, mm. When you're back um, at your desk, you are trying to conjure what you saw and um, what it meant, what images came before you, which were actually put before you by the choreographer, or you created for yourself. It's a very open-ended art form. And, and if you're someone who isn't afraid of what um, Keats called negative capability, which is, you know, the mystery inherent in forms and in life, uh, writing about dance is a very exciting mm -hmm. endeavor, mm -hmm. endeavor. Writing about ballet, well, classical ballet um, is my favorite form of dance. And it's just... Um, endless what you will see in a, in a ballet. Oh, I, I read your book as part ballet history, part ballet memoir, and in its whole a valentine to the form. How did you conceive of this book? It was not, it was not easy to conceive of because um, I was writing for, my, my brief was to write for people who think they're interested in ballet but may be afraid of it. Mm. And Basic Books was clear, you know, these are intelligent people, but um, they need a friend. They need someone to sort of take them by the hand, and, and they're listening to someone who knows a lot about the art form talking about it. So I really had to assume very little knowledge on the part of my reader. Because of that, I felt I needed to lay things out very clearly. And um, what I wanted to do was sort of lay, lay out ideas about ballet and realities and history in a thematic way. So I felt that first chapter should be about the foundational first uh, foundational five positions of ballet, and I could tell the history of ballet through those positions and give uh, readers a uh, their own foundation for the chapters that followed. I felt point work was an incredibly uh, powerful and evocative aspect of of classical dancing, though it didn't it wasn't part of classical dancing from the very beginning. It came along, you know, a hundred years later or so. I thought that was the ne the next chapter because um, that's what people are going to want to know about. Um, and then each chapter sort of of built on that. Uh, 
I th threaded a chronology of the history of dance through the chapters. And um, so I, I was trying to write on various levels, which is how we see ballet on various levels. I also wanted to give the nod to some of the great works, uh, written works in ballet history. Um, the writing of Andre Levinson, of Cyril Beaumont, uh, the new, just recently translated work of Akim Volinsky, a great Russian critic who, who was writing um, at the turn of the century, turn of the last century, and uh, Lincoln Kirstein, and peers, people who, who inspired me, who are still writing. I wanted all those voices in there to give a sense of the generations of ballet goers and, and that this is a, um, an art of kindred spirits. Well, I love how you begin by discussing the five positions, which I guess is Ballet 101. Uh, and in fact, as you write, ballet starts with the first position, the turning out into that Charlie Chaplin walk. Mm. What is it about this movement that is so important to ballet? Everything comes from turnout. The whole um, notion of turning out this, the turning the, um, the femur in the hip, in the pelvis, the opening up. It's a way, it's a very presentational way of um, facing the audience. It shows the beautiful inner planes and lines of the leg to the audience. It also it creates a torque in the hips that, um, that collects energy, that is, has the dancer in a state of readiness always. When the legs are turned out, a dancer can move forward to the side or back instantaneously. So they are not on a path anymore walking straight, following, you know, toes in line with their nose. They are now in a sphere that can move in any direction. As I write in the book, it makes um, the dancer, their legs, their whole body is more listening, more attuned to the space around them, and it's space upward as well. Hmm. Um, I found your history of ballet emerging from the French court particularly interesting. Can you tell us a bit about it? It's a form that, uh, that comes from Italy and France, and it actually came together when uh, Catherine de' Medici, a Florentine noblewoman, married the French King Henry II in 1533, thus bringing the Italian love of spectacle and pageantry to, to France, where there was um, also this um, love of ceremony and etiquette and um, also a, cere a cerebral sense to movement. Uh, the, everything mixed there, and um, the art developed under the French kings. It is very much a court discipline. The nobleman had to move gracefully, just as the king did. The king danced in ballets. He used ballets as a form of public relations. He often took roles in which he was the son or Apollo or um, the or Dawn. 
um, which of course ennobled him in the eyes of his people, um, put him up in the celestial sphere in, and uh, made him the center of the universe or of the earth's turn. Um, ballet is actually built on curves and arcs and elliptical rings and um, these geometries give it a sort of classical poetry and sense of aspiration and liberation. And as you mentioned uh, earlier, the innovation of the 19th century was the point, Shu? In, uh, in the 1800s, in the mid-1800s, when um, Marie Taliani rose to point in the ballet La Sylphide, uh, dancers had been sort of lurching up onto their toes in, in slippers that were reinforced. But Marie Taliani, with her father, who was a choreographer and a teacher, really uh, worked on that rise to point. Was she fully on point the way dancers are today? Probably not, but her shoes were, her point shoes were, or her slippers were reinforced um, so much that they were like a little point shoe. And her training, a strength training, to get her up there on her, on her toes was unique. Um, when she went up there, it just, it carried people away. It was a whole new thing. It was probably just, she was up there for a moment, a breath, a hush up there on point. But her technique, too, was much longer lined, more um, crepuscular in, in, in the way that it seemed to be reaching into other worlds. She, ha she was very powerful, so she was able to make huge arcs in the air in her jumps and jetés, and she had great ballon. Her landings were very soft. And so she seemed otherworldly, netherworldly. And um, this brought a whole new dimension to ballet, a whole new plane of being. Um, the sylphide, of course, is a, is a sprite, a wood sprite, a strange, seductive fairy who's a, sort of amoral. Um, her energy is pure, however. And um, this was transporting for everyone in the audience, especially women. Mm. Now, recently your book appeared on the cover of something called the New York Times Book Review. The reviewer was the ABT dancer and breakout star, uh, Misty Copeland. Yes. And here she writes, Although the subject of ballet has enjoyed a resurgence in interest in recent years, it largely remains a mystery for many people, even after they attend a performance. Jacob's book opens the door offering a meticulous introduction to the art form and welcoming readers to have a seat and stay a while. From the book's first pages, she continues, she captures the spirit of ballet as felt by its artists themselves. And then she quotes from your book approvingly, ballet never becomes easy, it becomes possible. Ballet training is something many children, especially girls, experience. Perhaps endure might be a better word at times. The study of ballet is notoriously grueling. Very few sustain a professional career. What accounts for its continued appeal? I think for young girls, the appeal is the autonomy it provides, the sense of complete control over the body and 
the power to move with purity, angelically, athletically, and once the point is introduced into abstraction, into perfection, into poetry. For the audience, it is a spe- it is a beautiful spectacle. It is mysterious. You, the more you learn about it, there's still a sense of there's still always a sense of how is this speaking to me? What am I seeing? Oh, this is what I'm seeing. Is everyone else seeing this? Uh, and you can go to a ballet so many times, and every time you go, you see something different. You, your experience of it deepens. You sometimes circle back to a, an interpretation you had early on. Sometimes you never circle back to that interpretation. You move into a completely different field of understanding the ballet. And um, different performers will bring different, um, different shapes to the same role, different emphasis, a different spirit which then allows you to interpret it in yet another way. So ballet is always young. You know, George Balanchine said this is an art of the young, and he meant that you can only dance ballet at the highest level into your 40s, say. Um, It's become an incredibly uh, physically demanding form now, just as gymnastics has. Athletic athleticism in so many fields is um, beyond what we ever thought was humanly possible. But um, but it isn't just a young art form because the artists tend to be younger than in other forms. It's perpetually young because we are always coming to a ballet new. One of the other reasons we're coming to it new all the time is because the eye sees differently than the ear hears. You know, you, you can remember a symphony or a piece of music note for note forever. Mm-hmm. You know what's coming next. You can hum it. You can hum it. And um, you, you, you just know where the notes are going. The eye does not remember in that way. You can never see everything in a ballet. Even if you could, there's something happening stage left that's different from stage right, and your eye can't catch it all at once. So this is why Belletta Mains will see hundreds of swan lakes or a couple nutcrackers every year for their whole life because it's always new. You're always finding something different. Mm -hmm. And I would say ballet training also seems notoriously rigorous, rooted in tradition and apprenticeship in the way that few things are these days. Absolutely. And I think that young people who take ballet and decide to continue studying it, whether they're going to become professionals or not, because becoming a professional is incredibly difficult. The competition is fierce and bodies change. They change along the way from the age of 7 to 17. And they may change in such a way that um, the dancer is not going to be a professional. But I think 
young dancers understand or young aspiring dancers understand that the discipline of the art form, the commitment it requires, the mind-body poetry of it is something that is going to be with them their whole life and is going to set them up for life. And in the book, you write about your own study of ballet, which you mentioned was late. How late was that? I started at around 15. I continued through college, and uh, it was clear to me by my senior year of college that I wasn't going to be a dancer. But, um, but it was just so wonderful. It's the, the, just the aspiration of dancing and to feel yourself... Um, taking the same path as so many of the great dancers and reading their stories and going to the ballet and understanding what's happening and, and aspiring to to um, dance like the people you see on stage. Well, it's just a marvelous dimension to one's life. A ballet is a specialized language, but what if you come to ballet as an adult? How do you start to understand it? You first start by going to the ballet and just... Um, dropping all your baggage at the door, and just letting the experience wash over you. If you find yourself um, fascinated or even interested in what's going on on stage, you can obviously read the articles in the program. You can move on to books. You can get... Um, books on, tech, on the technical terms. You know, terminology is important to understand. You don't need to know it right away. But as you talk to people in intermission, you'll hear them using terms, and you they can explain them to you. You can look them up. Today, now, with the Internet, it's amazing what you can find out on there. Just go, go on and put in the word arabesque, and you're going to get an, any number of tutorials on how arabesque is performed, what it should look like. Um, it's... Uh, it's a rabbit hole, of course. You can end up seeing the arabesques of great dancers, and there's a lot to be learned there. But um, but reading about it, too, is a wonderful way to learn. We spoke of ABT star uh, Misty Copeland, and there are now several breakout dancers at City Ballet as well. We had also seen young choreographers such as Justin Peck, resident choreographer at City Ballet, who also works with Broadway and Hollywood. Is ballet having a certain moment right now? I think it is. Dance is definitely having a moment. I mean, we have these shows on television, so you think you can dance, and Dancing with the Stars, and uh, they clearly show that the, the country is interested in movement. They're interested in dance, and um, I think the rigor of it, the technical amazement of, of it, the turns, male leaps... And um, the extreme sport aspect of it, probably. Um, ballet, of course, is another level. These, these shows don't actually transcend to the realm of ballet very often, though they'll sometimes have a classical dancer on as a guest. I think um, the ballet companies are trying very hard to reach a younger audience, which is important for all classical art forms right now. Um, and I do think that performers like Misty Copeland, who clearly has a sense of how to reach out, how to reach an audience, um, she has the savvy, the PR savvy for that, um, 
have been important. Uh, many dancers who are great dancers have no interest in that and um, don't know how to do it, even if they did want to do it. You need to be extremely articulate to do that. Um, the last time we saw real stardom of dancers catching the uh, the mainstream audience was was back when Barishnikov defected and Makarova defected and probably the last uh, global defector was Alexander Gudinov. Those were very big deals. Those caught up the whole world and um, made dance, uh, made ballet um, a politically important art form. And we don't have defections anymore. So, uh, so classical dance has to find other ways to reach the mainstream. And you think it's happening? I do. Not happening in the concentrated way that it happened in, in those dec in that decade, the 70s, pretty much. You know, it all began with Rudy Nureyev in, in 1961. But, um, but yes, I do think it's happening. You've been listening to The New Criterion, available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and newcriterion.com. I'm James Panero, executive editor. And my guest today is our dance critic, Laura Jacobs. Her new book, Celestial Bodies, How to Look at Ballet, is just out from basic books. New Criterion readers should look for a review of Laura's book, by our brilliant critic, Karen Wilkin, in the September 2018 issue of the magazine. Laura, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. <laughs>